Merry Christmas, Highland. It is good to be here today. Um, I, you, there was this one time I was in uh, Southern California, and I was attending a church, and it happened to be raining that day. And if you need to know anything about Southern California, it's this, that uh, it never rains. And the pastor got up, and, and he, he said in the most heartfelt way, I know it's raining tonight. I know that it's the roads are scary. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, dude, it's just rain, right? Like, come on. Um, and, but hear me sincerely. I'm not certain if you get more stars in your crown for showing up on church on Christmas Day or not. But I'm, I am convinced, I think you get to jump to the front of the line. I do think it's like the, uh, you know, Walt Disney World uh, Fast Pass. I, I do think that you get to go a little bit faster. So um, it means something that you're here. Uh, if you're like my family, then you had this flurry of uh, wake-ups at, you know, 5.15 a.m. and then the second wake-up that happened later uh, and a flurry of presents and, and, and then breakfast and, and all of this kind of had to stop and you had to kind of change directions to get, to get going in this direction. And I'm glad you're here. And the reason that I'm glad you're here is because our families aren't the only families that we're kin to. I'm glad you're here because you matter. You matter to be in this place and as encouragement for one another. It's good for us to be together. Um, there are a few things, as, as Jeff said, if you want to get connected, we would love to get connected with you. Uh, so you can fill that out at highlandchurch.org slash connect. I want to remind you of our schedule. Uh, we are toward the end of, I guess we're at the end of our Advent season, and January 1st, we will have one uh, worship service at 11, and then January 8th, we are back to, to normal services with uh, acapella in first and instrumental in second. Uh, we're excited to welcome our, our college students about that time. And uh, if you haven't had a chance yet, we want to encourage you to give to our restoration offering. It's our end-of-the-year offering, which not only kind of helps us to complete the tasks that we've already committed to this year, but it propels us into next year with a vision for the future. If you'd like to give, there are different ways to do it. Uh, you can drop cash or check in the, in the boxes uh, at the back of the auditorium. And I want to remind you, if you do plan to give, for 2022, it does need to be postmarked by December 31st. It's good for us to be together. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. From Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do uh, for him what the, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of of all nations, light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory for your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, 
And it will be a sign which will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're delighted to be gathered together on Christmas morning. As we celebrate the arrival of your, your son Jesus, we have waited in the cold and in the dark for many weeks for this coming, and it is here at last. And so we, with angel chorus, lift our voices in praise for your good work of salvation. And we, with wise men, travel long distances to find and seek your son. We, with the shepherds, stand in wondering, wandering awe as we contemplate, as we figure out what this means for our lives. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. It's together that the church says, amen. So we have been on this journey together, and we've traveled from Nazareth to, Nazareth to Bethlehem because Caesar Augustus said so. It was time for the census. And then there we encountered the shepherds and we angels and we witnessed the birth of Jesus. That all happened last night if you were here at our service. And this morning we're going to travel from Jerusalem to the temple courts uh, because the law says so. So that Joseph and Mary can consecrate their firstborn. And as we walk into the temple courts, we're going to meet these two characters that are told in Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna. And I imagine that Simeon and Anna were just kind of like, they were just set pieces in the temple courts. They were there all the time, and, and they had their own personalities. There was something like a fixture, if you imagine. If you've ever been to San Francisco, there, there's this guy that um, hangs out in the tourist districts, and he hides in a bush, and he scares people. No, uh, unsuspecting tourists just walking down the street, and he'll yell, boo, and you jump. And if you look at him, you realize, yeah, that is just a guy holding up a branch, but it's just what, it's a guy that does it. It's just, he's up there in San Francisco. It's like the street buskers in New Orleans. You can just kind of expect that they're going to be there. It might be like that dog in the remote control car at ACU. You just kind of know he's going to be there. And while they're there, they go through the ritual. They offer two doves. They offer two doves instead of a lamb. And that tells us that they were poor. We think of Joseph's profession as a carpenter because that's how it's translated. But another way of understanding carpenter in the ancient Near East was, was like day laborer. It's a person that just kind of did handiwork. It might be akin to someone that you might find standing outside of a Lowe's hoping that someone comes by and, and offers them work. He did not have a lot of money. Mary and Joseph were pushed from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and then they're kind of pulled from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, not of their own will. But then they offer this blessing. Simeon comes in and interrupts this moment of offering the doves, this consecration moment. It's, it's kind of like the baby blessing that we experienced a couple of weeks ago. As parents, some new, some older, 
hold their babies together and this church together makes a promise that we're going to help you. We're going to help you raise your child. But if you've ever been on the platform in that moment and you're holding your own baby, it's a powerful experience. Have you ever made a promise to a sleeping baby? That's a powerful promise. It's a moment that you intend to keep for the rest of your life. And there's so much wrapped up in that moment when Joseph and Mary take their firstborn son. And you have so many hopes and dreams for that kid because you kind of hope want them to be like you but not like you in every way. You want them to be great, but to also have joy. You want them to do something big, but it's also meaningful. You, you want them to be the first to go to college, but not to waste their life in a job that they hate. But for most of all, the promise that we make is not a promise that we propel our children, but that we don't hold them back. Please don't let our rough edges, our lack of access, or our own ignorance hurt them. I wonder what kind of prayers and promises Joseph and Mary made in that moment. Sometimes parenting is just an effort of swerving from one ditch to the other. If you grew up in a, in a home that was rigid, you end up being too loose. If you grew up in a house that didn't emphasize education, you push it too far. And what you're doing is just the best you can. And, and they encounter Simeon who's just about the last prophet. Now remember, a, a prophet's not someone that can predict the future. A prophet is someone that says the words of God, and God's words create the future. Does that make sense? And so think about what's happening in this moment, that Simeon is speaking the word of God to God himself. And Simeon was told that he would live to see the Messiah. And so his whole life was waiting, fixated on that one moment. And so when he says, Master, you are dismissing your Savior in peace, there's kind of a double meaning there. The first is that he is aware of now of his own encroaching death, but also that his watch has ended. The way that Habakkuk was sitting on the walls, watch, ended. He has seen the Messiah. And for his whole life, Simeon carried this hope the Messiah would come, not just to Israel, but the entire world. The entire world would be redeemed. But Simeon's glimpse is not the coronation, but the baby blessing. Simeon doesn't get to see the end of the story, but he does get to see a glimpse of the future. And so there's something to be said here about generational generosity, the way that faith gets passed down. In fact, if faith isn't passed down, I'm not sure it's very valuable. I don't think it means anything. It's like the cathedral builders in Europe that began works that they knew they would never see finished that we join in that work. We, we pour into our children. We pour into others. We pour into lives. And we know we'll never see the fruit of where it ends. There's a distinct beauty in the fact that Christianity has existed for 2,000 years because generations have generously poured 
into the next and the next and the next. Telling stories and listening to stories by blessing babies and confessing in baptism, by experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit and leading others to love others more than themselves. But there's this sharp contrast between Simeon's hope and Simeon's words. Do you notice that? There's a beauty of the text where Simeon raises this baby up and says, now let me die in peace. But the words he says are not very peaceful. He says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And, it, and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I think that caused Mary and Joseph to be reminded as they were pushed to Bethlehem and pulled to Jerusalem that they have so little control. They are, their son is destined for things that are beyond their comprehension and their ability to navigate. It is all beyond their control. And Jesus won't be able to control it either. Jesus' righteousness is like a mirror. It's a sign so that other people's thoughts shine through. Jesus will change the world. Those who see it and say yes and try their best will be forever changed. And so there's something here about faithfulness in times of uncertainty. The, the text tells us that Mary and Joseph were amazed by Simeon's prophecy, but that same uh, word could also be translated as bewildered. We don't have much control when God calls us to be faithful. Noah, <coughs> excuse me, Noah didn't have much control in the boat, and Abraham didn't have much control over the place that Yahweh was going to show him. Thank you. Esther didn't have very much control when she entered the, the king's chamber, and Jonah didn't have much control on the road to Nineveh. In the same breath, Jonah Salk lost control when he created his vaccine. And maybe a little more darkly, Oppenheimer realizes what he unleashes when he finishes his work. The forces that propel Jesus' parents to Bethlehem and Jerusalem will propel Jesus through Judea and then back to Jerusalem. It's interesting that the two prophets, the, the ground that they're standing, meet Jesus in the same courtyard where a generation later he will fasten a whip to clear the place out. And Jesus will, uh, will claim that if that temple is destroyed, he will rebuild it in three days. It isn't the temple that they're thinking of. Anna and Simeon are part of a system that Jesus will make irrelevant. And whether they see the implication and the consequence or not, they welcome it. Simeon says, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And you just kind of wish he had left it there. He just kind of wished that was the end of the sentence. But then he adds one more clause, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. How did Mary hear those 
mysterious words. What was she thinking? Walking away from the consecration, still smelling the incense that they placed on her child. How did Mary hear those words as Simeon said them? James Howe says it this way. Time will telescope for Mary and Joseph. Thirty years are compressed into one verse. The child grew and became strong. And it's like that for us too, isn't it? In a blink of an eye, we're, we've moved from a toddler taking their first steps to walking down the aisle. Time just does that somehow. But that Jesus' righteousness is the mirror. It's the fulcrum that will cause the fall and the rise. And if you're longing for peace or justice or mercy, that's not a bad thing. If you're in the swirl of forces around you that force you to Bethlehem and pull you to Jerusalem, that's not a bad thing. And I wonder if in Mary's heart she knows that Jesus will grow up and he's going to leave home and gather a following Wicked men will turn against her son who was pure and good and full of love. And Mary will watch as every word of Simeon's prophecy is fulfilled. She will watch as her son is lifted up and watch as her son's blood drips down from the feet that she tickled and watch the thorns cut into the brow that she kissed. And she will watch as the life leaves his body. A sword will pierce her own heart too. Mary will witness the fall, but she will also witness the rise. The promise of Jesus is that things are going to fall, but new things are going to grow. Usually we think of it the other way, don't we? The Roman Empire, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. But, but Scripture is different. In the economy of God, the things in our lives that are broken, the things in our lives that offer us oppression, the things in our lives that grind us to pieces and pull us to and fro, those things break. But what rises beneath and behind and between them is kingdom, is joy. Not just for Israel, but particularly for Israel, also for the world, for us, for you, and for me. And so I wonder today, when you look at Jesus, when you see Jesus' righteousness, it's kind of a mirror. Not only do you see Jesus, you also see the reflection of yourself. And my prayer is that through the power of Christ's blood and the refinement of the Holy Spirit, the longer we look at Jesus' righteousness, the less we see our own face our own faults, our own sin. And the more we see 
day by day, week by week, the Son of God. Let's stand and sing about that Son of God, what that means for our lives.